This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And welcome back to the Clear Jets podcast. Rose Ben Blessington and Michael Nania. Well, Michael, we're here. Wildcard weekend. Recording another podcast. Another season of playoff list Jets football. And we figured, why not open up the 2024 offseason pods? going through what the Jets need to do this offseason to make sure that they don't miss the playoffs for a 14th straight season, that they can finally snap. It's the longest drought, I think, in any professional uh, sports league for without playoffs. The Jets, yeah. 13 straight seasons. This is a big year, to make or break year for this entire regime, from the GM to the head coach. Hell, maybe even the quarterback doesn't come back, depending on how things go. Um, so this is a big year, and there's a lot of expectations. There was a lot of expectations this past year, and obviously it all blew up in four snaps, but – the Jets still do have a good roster. They have a Hall of Fame quarterback, and they're entering a win-now mode where they're going to go all in this offseason. We know where the holes start, obviously, up front on the offensive line, so we'll get into it. Um, but let's go through with a checklist of everything we want to see the Jets kind of attack this offseason. We'll get into some specifics with, with the free agent offensive lineman, but outside of that, we're just we're just making a checklist. Um, but before we do that, Michael, how are you doing? Soaking in wildcard weekend. Obviously, I can tell by your background, you're celebrating the Dolphins' loss last night. Jets and Dolphins, same amount of playoff wins this season. So, in the end, we—I mean—we have a higher draft pick. So, I guess we're ahead of them now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I very much enjoy watching the Jets' rivals inevitably losing the playoffs every single year. It, you know, it's good to see. You know, misery loves company, as they say. So it's good to after all the Dolphins did this year, they're right back in the same spot they've been every year this entire century. Um, still haven't won a playoff game in 23 years. Jets of six in that span. So, so we have some ammunition for the arguments that Dolphins fans are always going to throw Jets fans away. Um, so that was cool. But I, I just like watching playoff football in general and kind of like it's cool from a Jets fan perspective to like see things that work for other teams, things that don't work. Kind of helps you really get a feel for how you'd like to see the Jets build up their team and how they can get into the position that these teams are in. So that's my favorite part of watching playoff football especially yesterday you know seeing the texans a team that you know is in a spot that the jets were in you know last year a couple years ago and now is accelerating through this process in a way that the jets couldn't so you know seeing some oh you mean by hiring by hiring san francisco the san francisco defense coordinator coordinator. getting the (laughs) second overall pick a ball defensive coordinator so you can even have that parallel pairing him with a young oc yeah no it's young oc who we brought over same yeah. thing across the board, but works for them, not for the Jets somehow. Well, this is the year, Michael. This is the year. This is what I've told myself for 13 straight seasons, but now I really believe it. Well, I'm not there yet. We'll still just a few more weeks and we'll get optimistic again. But I do mean when, when it's like when you look at this roster, it's like 
obviously it's doom and gloom in Jets Nation right now, but it's like this is the best opportunity they've had, even more so than last year, I would say. I mean, they they have a very clear need on the offensive line, and they need to add another receiver. But you go through this roster, it's like, all right, the defense is pretty much set. They'll have to do some re-signings and, and whatnot. But obviously it all starts with offensive line, so let's get into it. Um, I think the first major decision the Jets have to make on the offensive line is what to do with, with AVT. And obviously a lot of this depends on his rehab. I know there was the, the report he had that this week where he was saying the Achilles tear was higher up on his cat, like it was closer to his calf muscle than it was to his heel. I'm not going to pretend to know what that means in terms of his, his timeline and when he's going to be able to come back. But look, back-to-back devastating injuries for AVT that he's going to have to work back from. He's been moved all across the offensive line, which is a strength of his. And maybe he'll do it again this this season. But Salah said they want to lock him into one spot. And I think that is fair to the player. Because it's fair to wonder is like how much of these injuries is him having to move around? How much of it is, is him, you know, a guy who has a body of a guard playing tackle? And yeah, he can do it. But is he overextending himself with, with those short arms? And it's leading to him overcompensating, getting hurt? I'm not an O-line expert. I'm not going to make those claims. But you look at AVT's profile and he's one of the best players on this team in back-to-back years. His injury has been devastating for this offensive line. So keeping him healthy and deciding where they want to play him. Um, you were before we were talking about this. You're kind of in the camp of keeping him at guard because you think that's where he's best yeah. because of the injury concerns. Mm-hmm. I have a counter to that, but let me hear your your thinking about why the Jets should keep him at guard. Yeah, so I mean, I'm on team guard right now. I, I definitely see the pluses of tackle, but for me, looking at the player individually, I think guard is where he's at his best, and you know that's. Really, where the argument lies is in the fact that the tackle or putting out a tackle is mostly is less so because of him, I think, and more so because how can you build the best five man unit? And looking at the options that are available, putting him a tackle might be the best way to do that. But looking at him specifically, I think he's better at guard. And that's not to say he hasn't played well when he's been at tackle, he's done a really good job. But I just feel like the few games he's played, it's too small of a sample and he hasn't seen strong enough competition in those games for me to comfortably say I want him playing 17 games at tackle because even you look at the games he played last year they played New England and they've Jude on but he was mostly on Beckton in that game who he did dominate in that game <laughs> um, Kansas City doesn't have a great I mean they have Carl Aftis but um, you know he's not a top tier guy I would say and then Denver obviously had a pretty bad defense this year and that was it this year and then last year he had um, I think he played Pittsburgh, which he did have a pretty rough pass protection game in that one against Pittsburgh. He's playing left tackle. But, uh, played, yeah, and that was at left tackle. Uh, then Miami, he had a really good game, and they have good edge rushers, so I'll give him that one. Uh, Green Bay didn't have the best pass rush that year, uh, and then he got hurt against Denver. So it's just not enough games or competition for me to say, like, he is going to be good. I think his run blocking is perfectly fine out there because they do a good job of, when he has been there, getting him out in space, just kicking him right off that edge and leading some runs. So I'm not worried about that, but uh, I'm just not comfortable yet with him, you know, to say like, I think he can do it, but at guard, you know, where the length doesn't limit him as much. And it's, it still limits you, even if it's not as much as the edge. Um, I'm very confident that he is going to be a good guard. I'm just not a hundred percent on that at tackle. And then I think above all, it's really just the injury thing because, you know, maybe it's random. He would have gotten hurt at guard. I don't know. But the fact that two years in a row he moves to tackle and only takes him, you know, three three games this year, I think it was five last year, and then he has a season-ending injury, is you know maybe it's not a coincidence when that happens twice in a row, especially because you know first year he played a guard and he stayed healthy the whole season, 
and, and I think it's fair for him too to say like, you know, you're a right guard, practice that, work on that, because you know, three years in a row now he's played a different position really coming into the season or had to change compared to the previous one. So it would I think it would be good for him to say, you know, for the first time you can go into the offseason practicing the same position as the previous one two consecutive years. I think there is something to be gained from that. Especially yeah. working next to Titman, I think would be good because if you place tackle, you're probably getting a new guard who you're throwing in there. Um, it, I think it would be cool. You know, Titman is another one of the young building blocks you have in this offense. They played together last year just to build off of that continuity a little bit. So I'm, I favor putting him at guard, but I do see the tackle thing, which I'm sure you'll get into here. Well, yeah. Oh, cause there's a few things. I mean, one, we'll get into the specifics of the names, but you kind of mentioned the point of it's like, it's a much stronger free agency class at guard. Yeah. It's going to be a lot easier yeah. for the jets to sign two starting caliber guards. than it would be for them to sign a starting caliber tackle. And then you're probably relying on a rookie. Like when you look at their options, if they stick AVT at guard to build the best possible five to put in front of Rogers in the Super Bowl win now year, it's just the chances you're going to hit on all those guys or that they're all going to stay healthy is pretty low. I mean, we'll get into the names in a second, but some of the other arguments would be one, and this one, I guess we're not in a position to make. It really does depend on his rehab, but like, what is he losing from this Achilles injury? And if it's his ability, if he, if he loses some of his ability to anchor and you put him back inside and like, again, the injury happened with him at tackle and he was trying to anchor down and you could just see his, his Achilles popped. Um, but if that's if he's not as strong as he used to be in his anchor and you're going to stick him inside and he's going to be going up against a 300-pound defensive tackle, I don't know if that's that's best for him. The flip side of that argument would be like if his if it's more of his athleticism and his lateral quickness and he's not able to drive, you know, because like you said, like one of the best parts about having AVT a tackle was running behind him, getting him out in space. It's like the only time I've been watching the Jets where it kind of seemed like they had a, a Trent Williams-esque guy leading that i mean i guess back in his rookie year they had a few few good runs but like having a guy you can just get out in space and use as a real weapon on the offensive line right, i think yeah. you got to see him shine a little bit more at tackle than at guard the other the other position would be this it's like and this is kind of coupled with putting the best offensive line in front of in front of rogers but do you think it's more important and maybe you can argue the other side because I, I don't know but do you think it's more important for a guy like rogers who's 40 years old coming off of an achilles injury to have stability at tackle Obviously, you'd want the whole five, but stability a tackle or stability in the interior? Because you've seen a lot of, you know, most bright football minds will tell you that there's nothing that'll wreck an offensive game plan like interior pressure. But at the same time, I mean, you saw the, the tackle woes that the Jets had this year and his injury was directly because of a tackle. Obviously, it was the cut block. Whatever. We don't have to get into it. But like, is Rodgers better off with having the stability at both of his tackle spots and being confident there because he's not going to be able to presumably be as athletic, be able to get as many out of out of as many sacks. So it's like, if you can stick AVT out at right tackle and have some sort of stability, and I know you said he's better in the run, in the run phase than pass blocking, but still compared to the other tackles that we watched this year, AVT was easily the best that the jets had. Yeah. And it's like, if you have AVT at right tackle and then you have whoever you're drafting at left tackle, one of, one of these rookies, or maybe you sign some, whatever it is, I feel slightly better about the jets chances of, of keeping Rogers upright. Then it's like, all right, AVT's inside and maybe your interior pressure is better, but it's like, then at right tackle, you're having, probably a rookie at one spot and then a mid free agent at the other spot. Maybe you're bringing back Becton. Like I just, the, the outlook for the Jets offensive line is, is a lot lower. Like the ceiling is so much lower. If AVT's, if you're pigeonholing AVT inside a guard, but like you said, when you're looking at the individual player, he's probably better off at guard, but the Jets offensive line, it feels like they kind of need him to be a tackle to make this thing work. Yeah. And, and that's why I see the arguments to both sides, but I, I think it really will come down to, information that they 
probably have more so than we do. Like, you know, how, how does he feel at each spot? How does the injury affect him at tackle versus guard in terms of getting into his sets, getting out in space, doing the things they need him to do? That's really what probably matters the most. And we can't gauge that without hearing from them how that process is going, how it's affecting him. So I think that's what it will come down to the most. And uh, we'll, we'll just kind of have to wait and see how that goes. But for me, I, I lean towards him at guard. But there, there are pathways to, if you put him at tackle and hopefully it plays out the way you want it to, you can build a more talented group of five players right. with two good guards if you can nail free agency. Because tackle just, it's, it's really not there in terms of tackle talent. So there is a lot more risk right. if you put him at guard in terms of like, how are you going to solve those two spots? And like we've learned this as Jets fans, and then Saul has mentioned it's kind of a league-wide problem right now, but you pretty much need to be too deep at every single spot because I think the average number of offensive linemen used this season for each team was like 10. It was like 10 point something. But um, So it's like every team is going deep into their, their reserves, and it's like I feel a lot more confident in the Jets' ability to build up a, a strong reserve unit on the interior than trying to be four or five deep at tackle because it's like otherwise you're getting into the Max Mitchells of the world, and it's like – I don't know if I in a win now year you want to stick Rogers behind that, but like you mentioned, like the, the injury issues with ABT is going to give the Jets a lot of clarity in terms of like how limited is he, where is he more comfortable. But in terms of building the, the best five, I think it's ABT attack. How did you feel his? I know we talked he's a plus in the run game, and I know you said the sample size wasn't big enough, but him as a as a pass blocker out of tackle, how do you feel he stacks up compared to as a pass blocker on the interior? I th- I think he does well out there. Again, like I said, I just feel like. He didn't get challenged. Like, for example, the first couple games of the season, or second game you're playing Dallas, and you saw what Micah Parsons could do to these really bad tackles. I'm not obviously I'm not saying AVT would look like you know Dwayne Brown did in that game, but you know, that's that's the type of player who you really want to see your tackles play against because those are the game records who could single handedly ruin a game. And I just don't think we've seen him face that type of guy yet, at least a high number of reps. Um and his time at tackle, so I'm just not sure. But I think he did a solid job. You know, there were some reps. Like, I remember the Pittsburgh game last year, which, like you said, he's at left tackle in that one. But he, that was probably his roughest one. He had some reps he lost. But, I mean, he, he has the foot quickness. He gets into his sets pretty well. He can match speed guys. Um, it, you know, it's just that length. Like, when you're playing a guy who could get his hands on you and establish a bull rush, like, how is he going to be able to handle that? Because I do feel like, that's when he struggles the most is guys can get their hands on him and establish those bull rushes on him. Uh, and that's when he could have some of his losses. So I feel like we need to see more of that. That's why I'm skeptical. But I mean, at guard, like I do think his pass protection can get better. Um, in terms of run blocking, I think he's about as good as it gets in the league, but pass protection, I think he can be better. He, he's at least solid to me for sure. Like the thing I think he does well is he doesn't take huge losses. Like compare that to Becton, who I think he gives up a lot of sacks, strip sacks. You saw safety this year. Like when he gets beat, he gets roasted. And I don't think you see that with AVT because I think he has the fluidity and the athleticism to where even if he gets beat, like say he misses his punch, he gets bold a little bit, he's able to recover pretty well. So he'll give up pressure maybe a little bit more than I would like. I think he could be more consistent, but like the sacks, like, for example, I have the number right here in front of me. In his career, he's given up 72 pressures, but only five of them were sacks, which is a pretty low ratio compared to what's typical. So, you know, you'd like to see him be more consistent and not giving up pressure, but I think he does a good job of limiting the damage. 
Yeah, he recovers well. And you mentioned yeah. uh, the other big question on this offensive line, Becton, who you seem pretty adamant that the Jets shouldn't resign. And I think, you know, his performance on the field this year would certainly back that up. Although there's maybe an argument that, hey, as I said, we they got to get two guys at pretty much every single spot and they'll be able to resign him for, for cheap. And we know Rodgers likes his friends. <laughs> He's clearly a Rodgers buddy. Um, what's yeah. what's your line in the sand with, with, with Becton? Because I do think as bad as he was at times, there is still the ceiling that of the player that you drafted a couple years ago, and he's coming off of two back-to-back seasons away from the game, two back-to-back reconstructive knee surgeries. He played every single game outside of one this year, and it's possible that after he has the season under his belt, he has a full offseason in the same offense, that maybe you know we're not even touching on his tweets about Keith Carter, so if, if Keith Carter is staying, I think this is a moot point. But it's possible that if they're able to re-sign him for cheap, you know, four or five million dollars and maybe his name value prices him out of that range that he comes back and you get a better player than you saw last year like I don't think I think last year's as bad as Bexton's going to be and maybe that's all he'll be but there's also a chance like we have to acknowledge that like a lot of guys who seemingly leave New York that are like bums or can't stay healthy or like you know like I just think of like Blake Cash when I'm watching the playoff games like how did this guy turn into a, a stud linebacker yeah. all of a sudden it's like it's possible that it's like all right if you're able to re-sign him for cheap you might get a better performance this season. You might you might be able to capture some of what you saw his rookie season. Do you do you buy into any Beckham optimism, or do you want this guy off your team and you're not paying him anything more than you know that minimum to be here? I to be honest with you, I probably lean towards that just because I feel like a fresh start would be good for for both sides. I don't with Beckham. There's just I feel like too much drama for not enough production. You know, I feel like if you're going to be that much of a, you know, if you're going to be that vocal and attract that much discussion, there needs to be something there, but we haven't seen consistent good play from him. in at this point, four years. So uh, I don't know. I think, and for him, I think it would be better too. Like New York is, I don't think the best place for him at this stage of his career. And not that, I mean, every market in today's league, you're going to see social media criticism. So I don't know. But I don't know. I, I do see there is, you know, potential value in the sense that he does still have the tools and the potential. And, you know, is he better than Max Mitchell, Carter Warren? Yeah, probably. So, I mean, among backups, would he be an maybe average backup? Potentially. So, I mean, I don't want to be, you know, too anti Beckton and say, like, you know, there's no value that I would take him at. But, like, I, I really think they should try to move on but i mean if, if he has a, a, a very poor market and no one's buying into the potential and you can get him back at like minimum two million maybe really maybe that low three, i would okay so if, if there are no if you other get back, options, back, but, if you get back to back one yeah. year four and a half million are you doing it and that's low i don't i think he's gonna get seven or, i think just somebody's gonna buy I, it on the name i don't I, I just don't think so i think there are players who are may not be as flashy like but there are players who offer better production and durability at that price that you can get. So I, I wouldn't be thrilled with that, honestly. All right. Then the other guy on this O-line before we get into the positions they need to add, Lakin Tomlinson. Now the Jets can cut him, eat yeah. 10 million, free up eight. And then in a couple of years, I mean, they're paying a total of 8 million over the course, of, I think two or three years after this for void money. But that's, you know, I guess not a huge deal, but it's this year. It's like, you'd have to eat 10 to free up eight. Clearly, the play that they've gotten out of Lake and Tomlinson, they could sign a guy for eight million dollars that would be better than Lake. And I mean, you had the you said they could sign two guys for that eight million that would be better than Lake has yeah. played. 
Um, Only half joking. I, I mean, I wasn't really joking, honestly. Like, I mean, you could. Million, I mean, Nate Herbig four, was better. And what four million get? guards. You get, yeah, like a Nate Herbig. Like, that's the type of guy you can get a couple with maybe $8 million. And I, that's kind of how Tom Thompson's playing worse than Herbig did last year. And it's like uh, you could buy in for year three that he's going to finally turn it around and be that player that he was in San Francisco. Maybe, maybe this is the year. Um, but I just don't, I, I think, I think they cut their ties. I mean, he's been such a weak spot on this line for two years now. You can free up that 8 million. You could turn it into somebody else. And it's also just like they have to make changes on this line. However, I will say it seems like the last couple of years we enter this stage in January and it's like, okay, they're going to cut him. They're going to cut this guy. They'll cut Carl Lawson. Yeah. Because it. it makes sense. You're like, these guys aren't playing up to their contract, but Douglas has held on to these types of guys throughout the off season. And maybe Lakin's a guy, I should look at what they would cut, what they would free if they cut him post June 1st. But sometimes like Douglas will hold on to these guys, maybe try to restructure him or just be like, we're already paying him. Maybe we get something, maybe we get the best Lakin that we've had in New York. And it's like, they can still sign a backup for him. But like to me, cut him, you take that 8 million and, and put it somewhere else. I think Lakin is, is pretty washed. I'll look what, what they could do with the post June 1st cut, but what do you make of the Lake and Tomlinson dilemma? He's, he's out of here, right? Or is there any chance that Douglas doesn't cut, cut his losses? I agree. I think he's, it should be pretty obvious that he's out of here, but that is a great point that you made to where it feels like there were multiple guys like this last year who came back, whether it was Whitehead, Carl Lawson. Uh, so it's, Corey it's hard is, to no, say when you're talk, talking about this. Right. So I guess he did leave anyway, but it's hard to say when you're talking about this team that has not exactly shown you it's the best at pro personnel evaluation, especially and they never benched their him. own players. So that's, that's the thing. Like more so than they're, we know they're bad in free agency looking at other teams' players, but the way they evaluate their own players sometimes is sketchy. So yeah, I don't know. It should be obvious to me, but they, they had never benched him or thought about benching him. And he is, you know, always still put out there and, you know, kind of marketed as like a leader of the team. So I, I don't know. I'm not 100% sold. They, they're going to do it. Yeah. If they cut him post June 1st, they could free up 13 million. They'd have to eat 5 million, but that's better. So potentially, I mean, maybe you, maybe you hold on to him through June 1st and then cut him. But I, I think you take the money free and, and sign two guards. And we can get into the, the guard class right now because you wrote that article this week talking about the, the veteran free agents, who are some of the best options uh, in your eyes? I guess we could start a tackle because tackle, it's, it's a lot slimmer of a group. But uh, I guess we kind of said, well, actually, let, let's hear the free agents. Then we can kind of go through like what we kind of think, how many free agents they're going to be able to sign and stuff. Okay, so start with the tackles, kind of go through, yeah. through that. Yeah, so I mean, tackle is, it's not a good year to need a tackle, just to put it frankly. I mean, there are a in few guys who are in free agency, yeah. Um, there are a few guys who, you know, might get a decent, who I actually don't think will get a decent contract, but they have the talent to be really good, but they have red flags. who are going to lower their value. And I don't think the jets can deal with those red flags. And we're talking about guys like Trent Brown is out there and he had a really good season when he was healthy, but he's missed at least five games in four of the past five seasons. And I don't think he's a scheme fit. So that's probably not on the radar. You have Tyron Smith, who's still awesome, but He's 33 at this point. He's played about 10 games a year over the past eight seasons. That's a no-go for the Jets. I mean, unless you want to take that gamble, you can convince him, come play with Rodgers, but I doubt it. I think they need durable guys. Um, and then you have Mike Onwenu from the Patriots. He's probably the only top-tier guy who's like, you know, he's really good. He's durable. He's young. 
He has positional versatility too. He's the only guy who doesn't really have any red flags. So he's probably going to get a bag, but him being the only, really the only tackle in that tier of like complete blockbuster free agent. I don't think the jets can afford that. Right. Because it's not like they're swimming in cap space. Like they usually are. Can you sign a guy like that and still fill all your other holes the way you want to on the O-line and at receiver? It would be really hard. So I don't think they could be in the market for that type of guy. And here's the other thing. And this goes back to the AVT point. Even if they were to get on Wino, he's a right tackle, correct? Yeah, primarily. And then you look at and then you look at the draft, and because where the Jets are picking, they should be able to get the third best offensive tackle. Maybe a Joe Alt or a Lou Falls. And again, like I haven't really dove too deep into the, the draft outside of the YouTube highlights and a few mock drafts. Um, but the two guys that I've seen mocked to the Jets that aren't those two guys that they're going to take an offensive lineman is the tackle from Oregon State, uh, Fuaga. Is that how you pronounce his name? And the tackle from Alabama, Latham, JT Latham. Both right tackles. So all the tackles that I'm seeing mocked to the Jets are all right tackles. And Owino, even if they were able to get him, is a right tackle. So it kind of leads the, the big question, who's protecting Rodgers' blind side? Unless you're going to stick AVT back over to left tackle. It's like they don't really have anybody that makes much sense unless one of those guys like Joe Alt falls to them at, at 10. It seems like all their best options are at right tackle. So uh, when you look at the veterans, who's the best left tackle that they could maybe sign? Yeah, that, that's the rough part. So, I mean, like, I mean, you look at those guys. Like, if you want to take your Tyron Smith shot, your, you know, your chance at him, like, that's probably the best you got. Because after that, there's a huge drop off. And I made this list here. You can check it out. I put the article at Jets X Factor. I also posted this list, but um, I basically made zero to 100 ratings for every free agent based on the combination where they ranked as pass and run blockers, their percentile ranks. So 50 is average. And there's only four tackles with an above 50. And three of them are the guys that I just mentioned. And two of those, like we said, Brown and Tyron Smith, you Jets probably don't want a part of. So the other one is Jermaine Illuminar from the from the Raiders. And he had a really good season, but the only thing in terms of the numbers, but the only thing with him is like he kind of did the same thing last year, but then he, he only got a one-year $3 million deal. So it's like, are the numbers legit? Is he only a backup? Because he has been a backup most of his career. So he's interesting though. Like I think that's the type of guy they're going to target. Like he's a right he's tackler, a... right? Yeah, I, I believe so. I'm going yeah. to check that right now just to make sure. But that's the type of guy I think they're going to go after in terms of tackles. Is like, and there are a few other in this tier. I'd say like Andrus Pete from the Saints, Chris Hubbard from the Titans, um, George Fant would be in this. I don't know if he would want to come back to the. It didn't seem like it was the most the cordial exit that he had, but maybe. <laughs> Jonah Williams, I think, like, he's a big name. He was a first-round pick, so maybe he'll get paid off of the name and the pedigree. But if he doesn't, Jonah Williams is kind of in this tier of guys who are, like, they're okay. Like, they're not going to move the needle for you, but they're not terrible. And that's why you're signing them. It's just to have a guy who's, like, he's there. He's not going to dominate. He might have some bad games. But game to game, over the big picture, he's going to be right in the middle of the pack. I think they're going to want to sign one or two guys like that. So you could have, you know, a solid backup, and you could have, uh, potential starter who could fill that role and you know be significantly better than what the Jets have typically had, even if he's not special. So I think those are some of the guys you're gonna look at. Uh, and looking at Illuminar, yeah, he was he played some left tackle this year, mostly right, and throughout okay, his career well, mostly right, but he's played a little bit of left. But uh, yeah, yeah past that, two that, years that, primarily right. Yeah, that's what I'm going back to because it's also like and it ties back to Beckton. It's like if you're only there, it seems like the obviously there's more interior offensive linemen than tackles and the tackles that are available, they're all right tackles from the, in the draft and free agency, the top of the, the bunch is all on the right side. So it's like, you know, I know Becton 
was really bad this year. And, you know, it doesn't seem like he has the best relationship with Keith Carter. And so you're probably right. Maybe that relationship is over. But if his market's not as hot and you're able to get him back for $5 million on a one-year prove-it deal, it's like I'm not handing him the starting left tackle job, but just they need bodies. Like they, they need to be too deep at all these spots. And it's like otherwise it's like, yeah, I mean, Fant, I guess, makes sense. He wants to be – he wanted to be left tackle, and he's pretty solid in 2021 or whatever that was. But – it's all like you said, like they're going to be bargain bin shopping, and it seems like they're all primarily right tackles. Um, so that's depressing. But the interior market is a lot more enticing, especially if they're cutting Lake and freeing up that eight million right there. And if they're playing ABT at, at tackle, they need two guards. So who are some of the guards that you think they can explore? And is there a, is there a high end guy that you think that they will splurge if they're going to go bargain bin shopping at tackle? Um, a guard or tackle? Guard. Right. Okay. So um, in terms of guard, like that's where the value is with the free agent lineman. And th this is what we were saying earlier, like why you would put AVT as tackle. A big reason why is because there, there are a lot of options at guard and you could feel good that you could get two solid above average guards in there for, within their budget. Uh, because a lot of these guys, the thing that's appealing about this market is you're not talking about like 25, 26 year old guys who are probably going to get a long-term deal. There's a lot of stopgap type guys in here who you're probably talking about one, one year deals at this point in their career, maybe two, but they still have production that stood out as above average this past season. So, I mean, at the top, I think Robert hunt from Miami could get a pretty big deal because he had tremendous production this year, some injury issues, but he's, he's only 27. He's in his prime. He's really good. He's going to get paid. And then Kevin Dotson from the Rams He's 27. He had great production coming over from the Steelers. So those two guys, I think, like those are your in your prime, probably going to get paid guys, in my opinion. But then after that, you have guys like Kevin Zeiler from the Ravens, James Hurst from the Saints, who I remember talking about preseason, the Jets uh, should try to trade for him as a backup tackle. He's played tackle before, uh, but he played guard for the Saints this year, and he was very solid in pass protection. Um, Graham Glasgow, who's more of a run blocker, Mauler type guy. Um which I think they should lean towards the pass blockers more so than that. Um, he's another option too, though. He's been a longtime starter and pretty, pretty consistent. Um, John Simpson from the Ravens, John Runyon from the Packers, if they want to go get another Rogers friend. Um, so those are just a few, but like, if you look at this list I put out there, uh, there's a lot of like mid tier guards who are average among starters last year. And most of them are like late twenties or 30. So I really think the jets have a good opportunity to, within their budget, grab a couple of these guys too. Yeah. You know, if, you know, if ABT is at guard, you could start one, then you have another good backup. But if you do put ABT at tackle, like I think you could get a good pair of starting guards out of this free agent market. And also I should mention this. I don't think it's a real option, but it's just interesting how it pops off this list. But Greg Van Roten was one of the best guards this year, at least <laughs> in terms of his stats, it was, it's, which is pretty wild to see. And the Raiders offensive line coach uh, got hired by the giants. So I think that's a good hire. By them because he had a that offensive line is really good this year and they yeah. didn't really have any big name guys for the most part it was pretty surprising so he did a good job but uh, it, it's it's disappointing to see and it kind of comes back to the jets coaching like why are guys like why is lake and thompson a pro bowler at the niners he comes here and he's a bum and greg van rowan is a bum with the jets and he goes to the raiders now he's putting up top tier numbers so kind of frustrating but Keith Carter returns. Uh, not no, that he's been here the, probably. the whole time, but it, it just feels like coach to coach. Like, it doesn't matter who's it. It's kind of like the, what is that? Okay. Uh, well, okay you, so you would think, you would think this is a nerdy reference, but like 
in Harry Potter, the oh my god, the what is it, oh the potions or defense Stop of the it. dark oh, arts? Jesus I don't remember it so Christ. clearly because I've <laughs> Stop. read it and watched it when I was in elementary school. So <laughs> I think you'll be proud of that. But there's like one uh, position that every year there's like a curse on. There's like a new teacher. It's kind of like the Jets' offensive line coach. Okay, so it doesn't matter who it is; they're always bad and always getting fired. Um, well, I mean, look, it, we're recording this Sunday, January 14th. They haven't made any staff changes. You'd think there's going to have to be somebody. Somebody has to get fired this week. So maybe by the time you're listening to it, maybe Monday the 15th is when they do it or Tuesday. They have to do something. I mean, it sounds like Keith Carter's coming back. Like, I guess their blocking got a little better at the end of the season. Although it's like you have Taylor Luan posting that, that photo on IG calling out Keith Carter as he said what he liked all his coaches except Keith Carter and then um Beckton said that's the truth and then Brees was laughing at it it's like they're making fun of, and it's not he's not just the the offensive line coach he's the run game coordinator so Brees would be somebody to listen to their opinion on in terms of yeah. Keith Carter and some of his you know I think one of the problems with Sala is when you go back and read about him in his time in, in San Francisco is people wanted him fired after his second season he was bad or maybe it might have been his first season he was really bad and there were there were a lot of calls it's not New York but in San Francisco to fire Sala after I think it was 2017 might be after 2018 because they did not have a good defense and and Shanahan stuck with him and believed in Salah and Salah turned it around and they you know had a great defense went to the Super Bowl he got tired as a head coach and so I think Salah is almost like too loyal to his guys and too trusting that they're going to turn him around I just need to believe in them and stick with them because Shanahan did that for Salah he doesn't want to give up on these coaches but it's like yeah he has a lot of buddies on the staff that you know his, his defensive staff's great no qualms about his defensive staff he clearly knows those guys well but his offensive staff it's he's not his second staff this isn't even the, the staff that he was originally bringing with him and it's like a lot of anti Keith Carter buzz and maybe it doesn't hurt him in free agency but when the Jets are going to have to sign four or five guys and we'll get to that in a second it's like maybe that factors into things where it's like hey if I'm an agent I hear all this negative buzz about Keith Carter the offensive line coach how he, he pushes the veterans too hard everybody's getting injured who knows what else they're saying about him that he's not a good coach whatever Hey Jets, you know if you want to sign our guy, you got to pay him two or three million as the Keith Carter tax. You know maybe that's crazy, maybe that won't happen. But the Jets offered more money for Orlando Brown last offseason, and he went elsewhere. So it's just something to think about. Like, is Keith Carter really going to hold him back? I don't know, but at the very least, at the very least, if they're keeping Carter, get rid of Todd Downing. There is no good reasoning for Todd Downing to be on the staff anymore. I mean, outside of maybe Zach looked a little better. Outside of that, it's like. Somebody has to get fired for the ineptitude of this offensive perform- offensive season. And look, I know we went into it last year, so I'll, we don't have to dive back into it. But it's just like between Downing, between Rob Calabrese, where it's like when you look at his resume, I don't know what that guy has done to to earn his fourth season as, as Jets QB coach. Uh, Zach Azani is the receiver coach. Somebody was telling me, though, because I had a tweet where I was saying they should fire these guys. And somebody saying that he was in charge of the two minute drills. And I guess those were so- okay this year. So maybe he stays, but it's like, okay, Lazar completely fell off. The Hardman experiment failed. It's not like Gibson or, or Brownlee really developed. So I don't know. I feel like you could part ways. With it. It's like the fact that it seems like they're going to enter, enter 2024, this make or break year and Saul is not going to make any changes. We'll see. But it's like, if it's me, it's Downing, it's Calabrese, Dazani, probably Keith Carter, but I'll relent if, if Sala really believes in him. Um, but yeah, between between offensive uh, offensive coaches, and then you mentioned how bad the Jets' uh, own scouting has been in terms of their own players and free agents. There should probably be some changes in the pro personnel department and JD's cabinet. So that's probably that's probably step number one on this checklist. I know we've kind of jumped all over the place here, but step one, 
should be take a long look in the mirror, JD and Solid, because this is this is your make or break year. And they're tying themselves to the same people that have failed them for three straight seasons or just last year, in you know, the case of the offensive coaches. So that's step one. Um, I know a little tangent there, but let's get back to let's get back to business here. So step one on the checklist is take a long look in the mirror, fire some of these offensive coaches and make some changes in the in the pro personnel department for JD. Step two, you look at this offensive line. Here are the current returning offensive linemen, and I'll, I'll cut Lakin, but Lakin is probably in this group. But you have AVT, Carter Warren, Max Mitchell, Joe Tittman, and Wes Schweitzer. So you're good at center. Between Tittman and Schweitzer, you're good at center. Both guys have guard versatility, too, if you need it. But you're, you're solid there. If AVT's playing tackle, this is a lot easier. Again, I'm saying you're cutting Lakin. But when you look at that, that's, that's five players, and two of them are unproven. One of them is flat-out bad in Max Mitchell. But we'll just say five players returning so far. You need, at the very least, five more offensive linemen added. So we wrote out – this is if AVT is playing tackle. You probably need – I think you go in on a good free agent guard. That's one right there. I think you probably sign another guard because it's the deepest position in free agency on the offensive line. They should double dip there. So you get a good free agent guard and you get a solid free agent guard. Your guards are set in free agency. You're probably also drafting another guy in day two or day three that has guard versatility, can play tackle, one of those guys. So that's three additions right there. And then a tackle – you're probably, and again, you don't want to enter the draft with a huge checklist because it's like if the Jets are picking a 10 and a guy like Brock Bowers is there and he's the best player on their board, JD has shown that he'll do that. Um, and th- they would like the luxury of being able to add a guy like that rather than taking the third or fourth best offensive tackle, but probably a rookie tackle and then probably a mid free agent offensive tackle. So to, to recount, here's the offensive line moves we have the Jets making, and this is with AVT at tackle. It's, it's even harder if he stays at guard, but good free agent guard. Solid free agent guard, uh, mid free agent offensive tackle, then rookie offensive tackle, probably with your first round pick, and then another rookie in day two or day three. That's a lot of resources pulled, poured into this offensive line. The the positive is outside of receiver, there aren't that many holes in this roster. So all the resources need to go towards offensive line. I'll move down the checklist, but is there anything you want to add about about that plan? I mean, you could talk about it. if you st- if you keep AVT at guard, you know maybe it's a little different. Maybe you, you yeah. try to up instead of mid free agent offensive tackle. Maybe you're trying to get somebody who you feel confident enough to hand a starting position to. But I look at that and it's like the best chance for the Jets to build a good starting five in front of Rodgers is with AVT at tackle. So that's how I think they have to evaluate yeah. this. So, yeah, I mean, I agree with that. If that's where you're going to put AVT, if you're going to put him at tackle. But if he does go a guard, yeah, I think you kind of up your standards a little bit as tackle as much as you can because there's, again, not the greatest options there. but if you put AVT at guard, you got to get, I say, two tackles of similar caliber, like around that league average starter kind of level. And, you know, you have those guys compete for that spot. So you're not handing it to anyone. You have an extra guy there. If the rookie's not ready and, you know, whoever lose, loses the competition is a good backup anyway. So I would say you want two of those mid free agent tackles. And then obviously you're still getting a guard to start the other spot, which, you know, if AVT's at guard now now you and you have to get two tackles which you're saying here then you probably have to lower your guard standards a little bit from maybe a good guy to more like an average kind of mid-tier type guy so i guess that's what you would do you're looking at three free agents i think and all in that mid-tier two tackles one guard then you're hopefully getting that tackle in the first round which, which either way regardless of avt or or anything i think you have to take a tackle with that 10th overall pick or wherever they end up um and then, yeah, I think you want to add to the pipeline at the end of the draft, however you can. 
with a probably on the interior because that's where they don't really have that right now. They do have Warren and Mitchell there, which, you know, we'll see how they develop, but they are at least there, but they don't have any developmental backup interior guys right now. So I think you should add to that on the third day. Um, so, yeah, I mean, either way, whether AVT is the guard or tackle, you're looking at the main goal is that the Jets have to find value. They're not going to get a home run free agent this year. Like maybe past years, there was that opportunity. And, you know, like you said, last year, they tried to get Orlando Brown, didn't work out. But this year, that's not going to happen. They have to get a quantity of guys and they have to try to find value, you know, find scheme fits, find guys who fit the type of way, you know, not just the scheme, but like the mentality of your team alongside the players you have. Um, and, you know, find, you know, diamonds in the rough that other people don't see because, you know, what did you say before? The average offensive line is 10 guys play every year. Every yeah. offensive line is going to get injured. You're not always going to have to have five superstars to be great offensive line. The offensive lines that are the best at the end of the year are the ones that, I, I mean, health is key, but everyone's going to deal with something. So you have to be able to hold up through that. You have to have the depth and the connectivity. And that's going to be the key. Can they get a quantity of affordable veterans on their budget who work together and can make the whole of this unit greater than the sum of the parts? Yeah. And if they, if they cut Lakin and they cut Uzama, I think that puts them around 30 million in cap space. And, you know, there's all sorts of roster gymnastics they can do adding void years, restructuring guys. I'm sure they can push some of Mosley's money down or they can, they can move money around um, to try to add as much cap space as possible. But before we look at the rest of the holes in the offense, I think the next big topic on the Jets agenda is figuring out what to do with Bryce Huff, who's clearly a guy you want to resign, an undrafted guy, friend of the pod, who has developed under Sala, has turned into one of the best pass rushers in the NFL, and even showed this year that he's made strides as a run defender, a guy who wants to be an every down defender. And with him and Jermaine Johnson and Quinnen on the same defensive line, they were able to wreak havoc. And yes, the Jets did draft Will McDonald this year. Um, and he's, I think the guy they projected to overtake for Bryce Huff, but with Bryce Huff, it's, it's hard because it's like, all right, we have a great defensive line. We already drafted this kid, Will McDonald, we think is going to be good. And we have all these holes on, on offense, specifically the offensive line. We have to find resources somewhere to, to throw at the offensive line. And you look at Bryce Huff and that's a really hard decision because you know, you're going to let him walk out that door and he's going to be a good player. Like he will go somewhere and get sacks and people will be like, well, why didn't the Jets Sign him. It's like they they weren't able to afford him. If they if they aren't able to, Michael, what do you think the Jets should do um, with Huff? I mean, I, I think the the option that makes the most sense to me because I do think it's kind of like as much as I like him, unless they're trading uh, JFM, who which which they could do, especially if they do post June first. I think they'd free up like thirteen million or something. I mean, let me look at it. If they if they traded him, if they traded JFM before. Um, before the draft, they'd free up $7 million and be able to get a draft pick. And I don't know exactly what JFM would fetch. What do you think? A third rounder? You think JFM is worth a third rounder? Yeah. Post Somewhere June 1st, you'd free up $13 million, $13.9 million with JFM. So almost $14 million by trading JFM. That's the only thing that makes sense other than tagging Bryce Huff and trading him, who I think you could probably get a second round pick for Bryce Huff. I don't think that's overestimating the players. So for me, I'm kind of on the board right now of, it's going to be painful. He's going to be a good player. You're going to see him walk out the door and contribute wherever he goes. And you're not really in the business of letting good players walk out the door. But because of the dire offensive line situation, and we haven't even touched on receiver, it makes sense to tag him and trade him, try to recoup that second round pick. Um, the alternative is, is you re-sign him, 
or tag him or whatever reason, keep him around and you trade JFM with the idea of, Hey, Jermaine Johnson can take a lot of his reps. He's proven that he's, you know, a bigger defensive end who can take reps on that side. And maybe Huff is getting more full-time reps. McDonald's going to come along. You also have Clemens. Maybe JFM is the guy that moves, but I, I don't see the Jets going into 2024 with both JFM and Bryce Huff on this roster. Somebody's got to go. So I'll start with this. Who do you think is more valuable to this Jets defense? John Franklin Myers and his versatility or Bryce Huff and his superstar pass rushing ability? Um, It's tough to say because they, it's, they both bring such different things, but I would say, I would say Franklin Myers and here's why I think the Jets have uh, a plan in place to replace Bryce Huff that if it goes perfectly, I think they could, you know, they could make out of this like bandits if everything goes the way they want to. If you can tag Bryce Huff and trade him and Will McDonald develops into what Bryce Huff was, then awesome. You have the same defense you had last year, plus whatever asset you got for Bryce Huff. I think that's what they're dreaming of doing. And honestly, I think that's what they are going to do. I don't agree with that because Huff is just so good to where, and we like McDonald. We talked about it. And I think he showed flashes this year when he got playing time, which was not enough, especially yeah. near the end of the year. I think they should have played him more, like see what you got. There was no point at the end of the year to not do that. But uh, regardless, regardless, an older did, rookie. Yeah, exactly. Like, he's not a young guy. He's like 25. Isn't he, isn't he the same age as Huff? I think. Um, yeah. I should check that. But he, he's old is the bottom line. So we're not talking about a, a youngster here. He's but, still um, be 25 in when June. he played this year. Yeah, so, so he's old. But um, when he played, he was very efficient. Not quite to the level of Huff, but for a rookie, he was at a really good level in terms of what he's doing per play. He was ahead of where I think Huff was as a rookie. But again, you're talking about different ages. But um, yeah, I, I can see Will McDonald being a Bryce Huff type of player. I can see that. But is that guaranteed? No. We know Bryce Huff is a Bryce Huff type of player. So that's... That's always the dilemma when it comes to NFL decisions. Is it like, it's like, it's like the known commodity versus can we get something for this known commodity and turn someone else into the same thing? And from our perspective, obviously we value the known commodities, but the coaching, the teams themselves, especially you're, if you're talking about the coaches, like they always have that kind of mentality of like, we can do this. Like, I don't think teams are as capable of making those decisions as non-biased people on the outside because they think they can do it especially if you're the Jets well, who have done a really good job developing that talent on defense. They, they do have the resume or the track record to think that they can. When you're talking about Quincy Williams, Huff himself, Jermaine Johnson, the breakout he had this year, Ashton Davis, the way that Sauce broke out, Michael Carter II, they've done a great job developing defensive talent. So the Jets are a team who, that does have the right to think like, okay, we can do this. We can develop another guy to be Bryce Huff. But it is always a risk. So I would like to see them. I would like to see them tag him. I think that's probably the best way to do it. Keep him. Um, and, you know, play out the season. Or I, I, I honestly, I would have to look more into the cap stuff, see how it all works, if that's even plausible. But um, I think what they are going to do is tag him and trade him. But I, however they get it done, I would like to see him stay and just value the known commodity. I know what they drafted McDonald to set themselves up the, for this, but. What do you think yeah. of the JFM alternative? of hey, saying, hey, Jermaine Johnson's proven that he's a damn good football player and he can play in the trenches like JFM does. You also have a guy in Clemens who can maybe take some more of those interior reps if you will get to some you know the guys they should resign, but they could bring back Quentin Jefferson. And JFM's 28. It's the last year of his contract, I believe. Or is there two more years on his contract? So I look this up. But um, 
yeah. but yeah, what do you think about the 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 you know, I think that that's the creative solution because I don't think you bring both of them back. You, you have to find cap space somewhere to, to attack the offensive line. And it's either it's either JFM. It's either confident Jermaine Johnson and two years Michael left Clemens for JFM. So he's two years. So that, and that adds value to, to whatever you could get in the trade. Because I think Huff, if he leaves and you don't even tag him or anything, I think you would get a third round compensatory pick in 2025. Um, but I think right now you could trade Huff for a second. And I think JFM, you could probably trade for a third. Like, you know, he's 28. He's still at the top of his game. He's playing great football. He's versatile. He can fit multiple schemes. And I look at him, and for the from the Jets' perspective, it's like, all right, you have Jermaine Johnson to give those reps, and then your starting defensive line, defensive end on the other side would be Huff. McDonald can play some of those reps too. And you have Clemens. Like, I think that kind of makes sense if you're really keen on keeping Bryce Huff, who's young, who's, who's younger than JFM, who you developed as an undrafted free agent. I know they developed John Franklin Myers as well. Uh, I don't know. I, I think pass rushing is key in today's NFL, and Huff always seems to make big plays in big moments. You know, the Jets were saying they built their defense this way, and obviously it didn't happen, but to be playing with a lot of leads and to be playing against teams that are trying to throw against them late in games, and it's like Huff is more valuable than JFM in that aspect. So, you know, maybe the run defense takes a hit, but with Jermaine Johnson, I'm not sure. So I, I'm kind of on the, the board of um, if they could get a third for JFM, I'd do that and re-sign Huff. But – if they can't, then it's 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 tag Huff and, and trade him. Either way, I think Bryce Huff gets the franchise tag. But if they can't come to a trade negotiation or a contract extension, it could hinder them in free agency, which is the scary part about about tagging him. Yeah, I mean, twenty two million is the tag. I don't. That's rough. I don't think you could carry him at that number because I don't think he gets that in his no, contract. It's no. probably like in that sixteen fifteen type of range. That would be very limiting free agency i don't think that's going to happen so it's either tag and trade and he signs a different contract anyway with the new team or you sign him to an extension but the, the jets had ample opportunity to do that even before he you know got a sack number up which some of these teams probably care about despite the fact that he already proved himself before having sacks um so i i, I just don't see him coming back which i don't agree with i wish they would extend him just especially because like if you value the depth of your pass rush so much you want to you know players on players to just rotate in there like this can be a part of it you know i think uh it's not ideal that they spent two first round picks and you have a backup guy but like just keep guys who are really good it should shouldn't be that difficult but you know it can work out if mcdonald develops this hope but but i can see the jfm solution as well because like you said, Jermaine Johnson could fill that role pretty well. I mean, he's not he's not JFM, like a two hundred eighty no. pound guy and J- play interior. And JJ likes standing like up on on a lot of reps too, which is a different you know and that as well. So he's a different type of player, but he does bring the the two way ability in terms of he could play the edge and play the run really well on the edge. So I could I could see that, and then you have Clemens there as well, who could bring some of it. So I could see that it's a tough situation, but if however it plays out, if McDonald can build on what he did in his limited sample this year and become the player they think he can, I think they could in the end feel good about how the situation plays out. But man, I really wish Huff would stay. Like we waited so long for this type of player. Now he's, he's going to go, you know, Will McDonald can make them forget about him if, if he's, if he's any good, but yeah, I mean the tag makes it really, really tricky. So, and it's even like when you think about that 22 million number, it's like, if I'm a team, am I going to pay a second round? Even though I think Huff is definitely worth a second round pick. It's like, am I paying, a second round pick, and then I'm going to uh, pay this guy the franchise tag and then negotiate a new contract and go through those negotiations. It's, it's always, you know, the player has all the leverage there because you just gave up a draft pick. Um, 
yeah, I don't know. I think I think it's tough, but I would I would probably trade JFM if uh, if it comes down to the two of them. But it depends their confidence level. McDonald, so um, we'll see. The next uh, bullet point on the on the checklist is uh, a better receiver too, and I don't know exactly. You know, it, it depends. It seems like the draft, you don't want to go in with a shopping list. We say this every year. So, again, I'm going to try really hard not to. They might be in a, in a position to take, you know, the second or third best receiver as opposed to the third or fourth best tackle. And this is a good receiver class. Do they consider one at 10? Do they consider, um, you know, uh, that there are some options in free agency? How do you see the Jets attacking um, receiver two and finding somebody to pair with Garrett Wilson? There's a lot of smoke about Devontae Adams, but I'll be honest. I know, I know he's a Rodgers friend, and he's one of the best receivers in, in football and helps you win a, champ, a fantasy football championship. But between the money and the assets that have to move to get him, I just don't think it's worth it. I think they have too many problems on the offensive line to be you know, sending draft assets and a bunch of uh, money over to Devontae Adams, who's you know, towards the end of his peak, you'd imagine. So how do you, how do you see them uh, trying to find Garrett Wilson's Robin? I do think they're going to try and get Adams. If I had to predict, it's... That's what they'll do, but I agree with you that it's not as much of a, a slam dunk as it may seem. You know, this production fell off a little bit this year. I know his quarterback wasn't good, but I mean, he's he's still great. But like you said, age is there. You never know when a guy's going to hit that wall. So it's a lot of assets. You know, you got to figure out how that contract is going to work. And that's more so from a Raiders perspective because they have a lot of money that they'd have to work around to make it work. So like, how do you, um, if you're the Jets making that trade? How do you get the Raiders to take on that money and, uh, you know, facilitate the trade? It probably means you have to give up more assets. So do you want to give up more assets to make this thing work? It's it's really tough. But I, I do think that's what they're going to do because all indications are Aaron Rodgers runs this team. And if he wants Adams, he's, he's going to be here. So I think that's what's going to happen. And we might not like the trade package. It's going to feel risky, but. I, I think that's what's going to happen, but hopefully it, it plays out. But I mean, would, I would, I would, would rather, be an unstoppable. It, duo. it would, it would be nice. It would, be, it would be nice. We'd come know, around on it very quickly. It. Um, but uh, it, it's beyond this year where you know, hopefully, yeah. it doesn't come back to bite you. Uh, but I would rather go after like a Mike Evans free agency. Calvin Ridley. Um, Calvin Ridley could be a steal because he didn't have the best year, but I still think he's talented and would be a good compliment to Garrett Wilson. So I'd rather go that go the route of someone you don't have to trade but for. But you're, you're going for but, it in free agency. You're trying to fill that hole in free yeah. agency so you don't have to think about receiver in, uh, in the draft? Yeah, that, that's what I would like to do. Okay. Um, now, the QB position. Another thing on the checklist, and you're probably adding two because it seems like Zach Wilson's getting traded this offseason. Uh, we'll see what exactly, probably some sort of conditional day three pick. Um, and I would imagine the Jets are obviously going to sign a veteran QB two. There's some good options out there. And then they'll probably draft somebody as well because I think you want to take advantage of this time where you have Rodgers. You see what, you know, look, you're not going to be able to, you shouldn't take a quarterback in round one, but maybe they take a QB round four, round five, somewhere in there, and you let him sit behind Rodgers for a year, two years, maybe even three years if you listen to Rodgers, and sits and learns behind him. And then maybe you have a legitimate guy to take over or an option to take over for Rodgers when he is when he is eventually done here. It sounds like they're trading Zach, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I kind of this is this would be an unpopular opinion. I would sign a veteran and I would just keep Zach as as the QB three. But it sounds like all parties are ready to move on. If I'm Zach's agent, I, I want it out of there. But I just don't think they're going to draft anybody day three that's going to have the same 
physical traits that Dak has. And so you're really just drafting somebody to sit under Rogers and learn and study. But I guess there isn't really a long-term future here for Zach because if his contract's up after this year, you're obviously not picking up the fifth year option. So Rogers is going to start for this year, probably next year as well. It's like Zach's obviously going to leave in free agency. So I, I guess they have to trade him and, and draft somebody, but you know, the quality of quarterback you're going to get in day three probably isn't going to be that, that good, but you never know. I mean, you know, great quarterbacks come from day three all the time, I guess. So maybe the Jets can finally find one and not just draft another Bryce Petty um, to do nothing. So quarterbacks on the checklist, <laughs> sign a, a veteran. James Morgan. Yes, yeah, so James Morgan, Bryce Petty. I mean, Hackenberg was day two. Taj Boyd. I don't know. Maybe they can finally land somebody who's like, oh, this guy's actually kind of solid. Um, but veteran QB2 and free agency. Tannehill has some ties to the staff. I don't I don't know if I love that. Jacoby Brissett, I'd like more. Minshew's out there, but I think he probably stays in Indy. And then drafting a guy in day three. And, you know, I, I was I was looking at those those uh, options, just, you know, mock drafts and big boards, not really watching any of them. It's like, all right, there's some names here that are kind of intriguing, but I uh, haven't really done any of the, any of the work on the QBs yet, outside of my opinion that I don't think Caleb Williams is going to be that good. But, you know, that's maybe a topic for another day, but not a Jets-related topic. Uh, unless you want to add anything on the QBs, any of the options, I could keep moving down this checklist. Um, I would say another – you want to add anything? I don't know. I mean, I, I agree. Just get a high-level backup. I think that has to be a – whether it's, you know, Gardner, Mayshu. Uh, I was looking at the list. I saw Mayfield, so I started saying Mayshu. Gardner Minshew, um, Tannehill. I'm down for Tannehill as a backup. I mean, like we gotta remember what the backup standards are. So, yeah, as far as backups go, I think he's good. Um, Tyrod was pretty solid for the Giants. I don't know, just just get someone who's a legit backup, and then add a developmental guy. All right. So on the offense, obviously, five new offensive linemen. You're adding two new quarterbacks. You're adding at the very least another receiver. Maybe maybe two if you draft another one, but you need another starting receiver and hope that Alan Lazard can get back on track with Rodgers. And then the last need that I think is kind of underrated on, on the offense is is a backup to Brees Hall, an RB2. And yes, you have Izzy Abanacanda, and maybe he can develop into that change of pace guy. And look, the Jets have a lot of needs. We've said it on the offensive line, so maybe they don't have the resources to do this. But I think that between another late day three uh Running back, which again, a lot of times when you're in day three and you look at who are the best players available, a lot of times they're running backs. Um, either a day three pick, or I even said you might be able to get better bang for your buck just signing a cheap veteran because veteran running backs are so um, discounted. Um, you can get a, a guy who's you know a good blocker. I mean, you look at the, the Dolphin signed Mostert to what did they sign him again last year? It was like, it was like two less than three million a year. Right, so you can get a guy like that for dirt cheap to be Brees' backup to to spell Brees. Maybe I would focus on somebody who's good on third downs and pass protection because I don't think Izzy's proven that yet. I mean, obviously, Brees is pretty good third down back. I mean, you were saying maybe you want more of a power back behind Brees. What do you kind of think of the ideal backup for Brees? Is is it it a change of pace guy like Izzy? You know, or is it more of a a guy who can go get those tough tough yards and and save Brees from those those hits? Um, I mean. Really, whatever he can get, as long as he's, um, yeah, I think regardless of what the skill set is, as long as you can get that value, it's always just good to because you know you're an injury away from this guy being your starter. So, I, I don't think it necessarily has to be pigeonholed to a certain skill. But I was thinking a power guy would be good because Brees is, and not that he can't run for power, but he is more of like an east-west bounce a run to try and get like a big run type of guy, more so than he's 
four yards, seven yards, five yards consecutively type of guy. So I feel like, you know, if you're going to rest him for a drive and put someone else in, I would be okay with a guy who, like, maybe he isn't a home run hitter, but let's keep the chains moving. Let's get, like, like I just said, can you get four, then give me another four type of guys. But, but right. if it's another home run hitter, if it's a, you know, receiving type of back, and they could use some more blocking of the backfield and right. pass catching, like you said, because Izzy hasn't developed that yet. So that would be good as well. So I don't think it matters too much, but I think they're uh, the power element, goal line, consistent chunk, downhill type guys, something they could use. So uh, we'll see what they do. All right, and then rounding out the offense, I guess we should touch on it. But tight end, I, I would imagine, and going back to the earlier point, sometimes the Jets haven't been too quick to cut these guys, but it, they got to cut Uzama, right? Uzama's yeah. done. Okay. They did um, bench him, so it should yeah. happen. So that would leave him with Conklin, Rucker, Yabo, who I actually thought played played all right towards the end of the season there, and then they have Zach Kuntz, who they drafted last year, who's a developmental guy. You can't really rely on him. Uh, I don't think this is something that they necessarily have to address because I think you, Conklin and Rucker's a great tight end duo, and you know you have two guys in Yabo and Kuntz who are probably fine depth. The only thing I will say is that this was Aaron Rodgers' offense, and clearly – he, the offense that they had drawn up with between him, Hackett, Downing, Carter, Sala, whatever, was a heavy tight end offense. I mean, 12 personnel, 13 personnel. You saw the early personnel splits that they used in preseason and then even week one. Um, and even just the roster construction was they were going to rely on Conklin, Uzama, and Rucker. And obviously, Uzama was bad. Rodgers gets hurt, so you didn't really see it as much. But I would imagine that the Jets want to be strong at tight end. And between Conklin and Rucker, they are. But if – they're able to at least patch up their offensive line issues enough, and maybe the top two offensive tackles aren't there. If a guy like Brock Bowers, who's this generational tight end, is is on the board, you know, you'd help your offensive line and you'd help your receiver unit. I wouldn't surprise me if the Jets were to do something like that. So it wouldn't surprise me if I see all some sort of move at tight end. It's it's a swing position. It's clearly not the biggest need. It's probably the the only position on offense that you maybe don't have to do anything at, and you could be fine. But it's also a position where it's like I could see them trying to add somebody else at a third tight end. It's like maybe you're giving Conklin more reps out wide. You're giving Rucker more reps in the backfield or you're just running a lot more 13 personnel. It's not a huge need, but I just figured I'd throw it in there. Uh, it's certainly not ahead of some of these defensive needs. And look, defense is, is pretty good. Um, we'll get into some of the guys they need to resign and then we'll get out of here. But before we get to the resignings, I would say they need another defensive tackle. Um, this is including, I guess, including re-signing Quentin Jefferson. I think they need another defensive tackle to replace what Al Woods was kind of bringing them. Uh, a run, run first, guy who can eat up space. You you know, somebody's maybe more of a scheme fit than Al Woods was, somebody who can eat up those blocks. But Al Woods, you know, the run defense certainly fell off when he was out of there, but also like their pass rush was severely hindered when he was out there. And, you know, look, you're not going to be able to, for cheap or in the draft, find somebody who's going to be able to do both of those things yeah that well so you should definitely focus on the run stuffing guy but maybe you could find a guy who's slightly a little better, more athletic yeah. right slightly more athletic but somebody to back up quinnon to to stop the run and i think you're re-signing i guess we'll just get into the re-signings as well i think you're re-signing quentin jefferson and solomon thomas who you shouted out last week as a guy who uh who uh you criticized when you felt actually played all right this year yeah yeah he had a pretty good season is that third DT. So I definitely, I would like to run it back with Quinn and Thomas and then, you know, getting Al Woods, Al Woods type is just a little more athletic and not as much of a zero in the passing game. Linebackers good for the jets. Uh, I mean, between Mosley, Quincy Sherwood and Barnes, I think they might roll into the season with those guys. They also have Chaz Surratt. I mean, I think linebacker is a position they don't really have to think about too much safety. 
is a position they're going to have to do something because Whitehead's a free agent. Chuck Clark's a free agent, who everybody forgets about, but was one of the uh, offseason moves we were most excited about. And then, of course, he tore his Achilles, which was should have been a sign of things to come. Uh, it was his Achilles, right? It wasn't his ACL, right? It was his yeah, it was his Achilles in the spring, right? I'm, I'm going to check. I think I, I, I'm remembering it as an Achilles, and it would ACL. It, it would it was an ACL. Yeah. Oh, well, that's better. Okay, never mind. My bad. Um, but I think they should definitely bring back Chuck Clark because I was very excited about that move. And they should also re-sign Ashton Davis, who really has the last two years has kind of turned into a guy who is like, okay, he's been a prior, primarily a special teamer, a third safety, a fourth safety, but he's made a lot of big plays. And in that last game against New England, you saw that the Jets Whitehead left with an injury, and Davis got more of a more of a run. And I thought thought he played pretty well. So I think between Clark and Davis. You have your your strong safeties there. Obviously, Tony Abs is going to be back, and then they probably need to add another free safety, whether it's another undrafted free agent like like Tony Adams was, or a, a late pick, or maybe they feel like uh, uh, JBC Jarek Bernard Converse, the guy they drafted last year. I don't know if they're really playing him at corner or safety. He hasn't really played at all, um, but maybe he's a guy that, that you feel confident can can take some of those safety roles as well. But obviously, the offense is in much worse shape than the defense, but. Before we get to the last part on this checklist, which is maybe the most important part, what do you think about the defensing, the the retooling they need to do on the defensive side of the ball? Yeah, I mean, I, I would just say it's safety. I would like to see Chuck Clark come back. I really liked what he was going to bring to the defense. He's kind of like the anti-Jordan Whitehead. Like, he isn't flashy. He's not a hard hitter or anything, but he's very consistent and sound and doesn't make a lot of mistakes. So I think they'd need that type of guy more so than Whitehead. So I'd bring him back, bring back Davis and use him in that same role, but also let him compete and have a chance to go against Clark, prove he can play, you know, true safety because he's more of like a sub linebacker this year. That's what he did really well. But uh, either way, you want him back. Um, but overall, I mean, besides the stuff we discussed with Huff and the defensive line, there's not a, not a ton of major decisions to make on defense. It feels do, you think, like. do you think they bring back Whitehead? He seems to be a favorite of, of the coaching staff. I know you wouldn't, but I'm saying, do you think they do? Yeah. <laughs> Just any, <laughs> yeah. any decision like that with this team, you got to lean towards who's the, the buddy in the room, who's the liked guy, and it's probably who's coming back. All right, last step on this checklist is re-signing the special teamers. Greg Zerline, Thomas Morstead finally brought some stability to the Jets special teams. Both are free agents. Both should be brought back. Um, that that pretty much rounds out our checklist, but I don't know if you have any thoughts on, on the special teamers needing to be re-signed. Bring them back. That's it. Bring them back. Um, yeah. I Bring mean, them back, baby. <laughs> Would have been, been nice to have those guys in a, in a season that was a little bit more meaningful and having to rely on Zerline to hit clutch kicks than games we actually want to win and not Games that were cheering for them to lose. But outside of that, the special teams were, were great. Zerline was awesome. Morstead was awesome. So definitely hope both of those guys are back. But that runs with the checklist. I mean, the five new guys in offensive line, re- retooling the, the quarterback room, bringing in a better a backup for Brees, and then a few spots at defensive tackle and safety. But the offensive line is clearly the biggest priority for this Jets offseason. And all the resources are going to have to go towards it. We'll see what they have to do about Bryce Huff. You know, but I just don't see a way that between him and JFM that they're both going to be on the team. Somebody's going to have to get traded. They could maybe just let Huff walk and get the compensatory pick in 2025, but I don't know. It's a, that's a damn good player, and you hate to see him walk out the door for for nothing. So, um, yeah, I guess I would. I, oh, actually, I do have one more, and this is actually this is the most important one, Michael. New uniforms. 
I think we can finally rid ourselves of the stink yes. of the Adam Gase era. And this few years under solid have been disgusting as well. Just the worst era of Jets football, 2019 to 2023 of in terms of just like, you're going to look back on this uniform and be like, all right. So it was mono year with Darnold tank for Trevor year. Salah's first year, Zach sucks, and the worst defense in the league. Salah's second year, Zach sucks, and they lose six games to, to blow it, and then Rodgers blows out his Achilles. So five great seasons in these uniforms. I think it's time to throw them in the bin. <laughs> go back to the 80s logo. You can add a black alternate if you want, but let's, go, let's just take the, the throwbacks. You can modernize them a little bit if you if you think the jersey's too bland, but take those, those throwbacks as the template and release those in April. Uh, until then, I'm not buying any jerseys. But Garrett Wilson switched to five, so I'd like to get maybe a Garrett Wilson five and, and a different different uni. I don't know. Um, I think that's it, Michael. I think that's that's a pretty comprehensive checklist of things that need to to happen in 2024. Yeah. It really is fix the O line, and you can go to the playoffs. Um, that'll do it for us. Follow us Pod on Twitter. Michael Michael underscore Danny and myself Ben W Blessington. Uh, go to JetsXFactor.com, best place to go for Jets content. Check out the other Jets X Factor pods. Subscribe to the Jets X Factor YouTube. Um, if you can, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. Michael, I think that's it. Last thoughts? Um, you have your Sanchez playoff beard. You have your San- oh, get out of here. You have your I, Sanchez yeah. playoff beard right now, I've noticed. Playoff, playoff beard. Kind of going mimicking Sala, although his beard is a lot crisper than mine. Do we think he was dying his beard? Solid. It was, I don't know if I want to throw out accusations, but it was it was very smooth. It looked like he took a sharpie and colored that. it in. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll get out of here. Thank you everybody for listening. Enjoy good, competent playoff football. We'll be back next week. We'll figure something out. We'll do something. But we'll be back next week on Monday, talking more Jets offseason stuff. Maybe we'll have an interview by then. Um, but thank you everybody for listening. Have a great week. Go Jets.